excited that you guys made the time to be here. I have to tell you a little story about why I was almost not here. So there is this thing, this bug, this caterpillar, that I need to warn every single person in here, do not touch, do not get near it. It's called an asp caterpillar. Never knew about this thing. Yesterday, my roses were looking very sick, and so I decided about 1.30 to go out and spray them with stuff, and then I figured out that they were being eaten alive by these caterpillars. And unbeknownst to me, I started pulling them off of the roses. And thank God I had on gloves, but um, I did apparently kneel right on one, and also got me here, but literally here was like injected poison. I didn't know what was happening to me, but my body was basically shutting down. I was having so much pain, y'all. It was worse than childbirth. It was the most intense pain I've ever had in my life. Thank God. But here's the good news. My, my husband's out of town because he travels during the week. My daughter was there. She's in town. She's super cool under stress. She took over, took me to the ER, did all the things. I got on a drip of medicine and somehow got through it. 1 a.m., I was still in a lot of pain. I had Heather Van Staveren on tap to teach in case I needed it. Uh, but somehow, God provided. I slept from 1 to 7, and um, I'm here. So, must be a good message today, right? <laughs> so, you know, we all have those things, though, that go on in our lives that, you know, Satan tries to trip us up and keep us from doing the things that um, God wants us to do. Um, and this is a, this is a good reminder for me that God will have the victory and we don't need to um, stress or worry. So, all right. So what if I'm not up to the task of parenting? Maybe you feel like Irma Bombeck sometimes. When my kids become wild and unruly, I use a nice, safe playpen, and when they're finished, I climb out. <laughs> or how about this mom? It's like no one in my family appreciates that I stayed up all night overthinking for them. <laughs> Been there? Actually, there was a recent study done, you know, I love to talk about surveys. There was this survey done by one poll. They surveyed over 2,000 millennial moms, and they found some very interesting data. 73% of the moms surveyed uh, felt like they constantly had to put on a strong face in front of their families, but they were feeling stressed or overwhelmed at least five days a week. That's 73%. Nine, no, seven out of 10 moms often hold back their feelings and aren't honest with their family or their um, spouse because they're afraid they won't get the support they need or they don't want to feel like a failure. And here's the really interesting thing. Nine out of 10 moms said they would clone themselves if they could. <laughs> and not only clone themselves, but they would need four clones to accomplish everything they needed to do in a week. So that's, that's pretty well describes it, right? I mean, it's a lot. Would you agree, though, that God doesn't want us to feel this way? Part of the problem lies in the lie of busyness. We know that our culture tells us that if we're not doing a lot, then we're not valued. Um, 
all of us have different thresholds and God calls us to different things, but we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, right? We've discussed some of these already and how social media plays into this and makes us feel like we're not doing enough, we have to meet this perfect image, all of that. Um, we know it's impossible, but yet it still influences us. But we need to remember that God sets the standard that we should be doing as moms. He has called us as moms as the primary calling on our lives, and we are to shepherd their hearts. And isn't that a beautiful framework that we can work within to put aside all those activities and choices that don't fall within that? You know, we need to just be focused on the task. Primary calling as moms, shepherding our children's hearts, and keeping the focus, and that is our framework. You've probably heard the phrase at some point, give yourself grace. Anybody ever heard that? Give yourself grace. It's pretty popular today, right? It sounds good, but we need to remember where grace comes from, right? We can't give ourselves grace, and I know that's not necessarily what that is saying, but God alone is the one who offers us the grace we need to overcome our struggles. There are some of you that really need this message today. I know that because of yesterday. Um, without God's grace, we might feel better for a minute, but eventually we're going to go back to feeling overwhelmed, stressed out, insecure. True grace comes from God alone. When we talk about God's grace, we need to separate it into two kinds. Grace received and grace lived out. Grace received, meaning undeserved favor or getting something that we don't deserve. This is referring to the saving grace we receive when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. This grace is a gift. It is a free gift from God, enabling us to have a right relationship with him and inherit eternal life. God freely offers us this grace because he loves us so much that he wants to have that relationship with, the, with us. I'm going to talk about grace received in depth next week. We're going to put that one on the table, and we're going to focus today on grace lived out. So grace lived out is the power for living. It is a force or an acting of God that works in believers to change our capacities for work, suffering, and obedience. I'm going to say that again. It is a force or an acting of God that works in believers to change our capacities for suffering, work, and obedience. This is the grace God provides exactly when we need it. Not before, but when we need it. In those moments when your children are screaming or crying or whatever it is that is testing your patience, God gives us the grace in the moment that we need it if we ask. This is grace in action, and we see it in how we treat others and how God's grace gives us power in our weakness. We must have grace received, which I'm going to talk about next week, in order to have grace, extend grace to others. 1 Corinthians 15.10, 
By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder, that was the effect of grace, than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Corinthians and many, actually most of the New Testament letters, he called himself the worst of sinners. He was a religious Jew, what we call a Pharisee, and he, uh, right uh, after Jesus' death, he began persecuting Christians. He would hunt them down, literally, put them, make sure they got in prison, and many of them were killed. Okay, so this is Paul's background. And then, on one of his hunting trips, Jesus appeared to Paul, stopped him in his tracks, and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And then he called Paul to be a missionary to take the gospel to the Gentiles. These were non-Jews. So here was this man that was persecuting and killing Christians. He stood by as Stephen was martyred and stoned to death. And yet, God, Jesus in his grace, transformed this man. And the rest is history. One, two-thirds of the usage of the word grace in the, in the whole Bible was by Paul. He is often called the apostle of grace. He was a transformed man, and he was able to pour out this grace wherever he went. We can do it too. Now, this grace doesn't empower us to be super moms and do whatever we want to do. But it does give us what we need in the moments that we need it. And this is what we're going to focus on today. Grace lived out. Because we've been given so much grace by Jesus, you would think that we could just pour it out to others and it wouldn't be a big deal. But actually, it's really hard, isn't it? It's so hard to give grace. Why is that? I believe our sin, our insecurities, our doubt, shame, all those things get in the way, and it's just really hard to do. So we're going to talk now about four ways that God calls us to live out his grace, and we're going to unpack those. Grace to accomplish his will, to rightly view ourselves, to forgive ourselves, and to shepherd our children's hearts. Theme that you'll hear all the semester, shepherding our children's hearts. All right, so grace to accomplish his will. When you feel overwhelmed by being a mom, which I know because I've been there happens almost daily, know this first. You are called and equipped by God. You are the exact person that God has called to parent your child. And I don't know if you know this saying, but I tell myself this a lot. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. It's such an amazing thing. Think about most of the Bible is stories of God asking regular people to do things that they couldn't have done on their own. You know, last week we talked about Moses. When Moses 
When God called Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt into the promised land, do you know that Moses, do you know what he said? Anybody? He said, no way, Jose. You got the wrong guy, God. I cannot do this. I am not eloquent of speech. I am shy. I don't have the skills. No way. I'm not doing it. And you know what God said? Yes, you are, Moses. Yes, you are. I have called you. I will equip you. He gave him his brother Aaron, who was a great and eloquent speaker. And Aaron spoke for Moses. He surrounded him with his sister Miriam, an incredible family, and gave him everything he needed. He said, I will go before you, Moses. Trust me. You are called to be a mom. You are equipped. Parenting is so hard, but God knows this. He doesn't ask you to be able. He asks you to be willing. Remember, he provides the wisdom when we ask for it. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He provides the strength and the tools. He provides the grace for us to see ourselves accurately. And when we do that, we get the freedom that we don't have to deny our weakness. We don't have to bottle it up and keep it to ourselves. We don't have to put on a strong face. We can be honest and we can go to God. The core. I know this is a very well-known verse. And so if you would like to read this along with me, I encourage you to do that. It is one of the best, most powerful verses in the Bible for this exact topic. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he said to me, it's on your paper. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. Paul wrote this verse in his second letter to the Corinthians around 55 A.D. He had written a letter to the Corinthians a couple years before that where he was um, reprimanding them basically for all the sin that they had allowed to go on in the church. And they didn't like it. They questioned his authority as an apostle. And so the second letter of Corinthians is basically him making a defense of his apostolic authority. And the verses leading up to this one, he talks about how God had allowed a thorn in his flesh Okay, y'all, I can't tell you yesterday when I was sitting there in this pain, I was this verse, the thorn in the flesh. I was like, okay, this is real stuff. God had allowed a thorn in his flesh that tormented him. And we, we ascertain that it's, it's some sort of physical ailment. Some people say blindness. We, we don't really know, but it was clearly a physical problem that he prayed three times for God to take it away, but, but God didn't. And What's so interesting about this is that Paul was not a stranger to suffering at this point. He had been through shipwrecks, stonings, near-death experiences, all kinds of things because he was spreading the gospel and, and the gospel offense. And he had been through so much suffering, and yet this suffering was so bad that he asked God to take it away. 
And God said, no, I'm not going to take it away. I'm going to help you through it. This is such an encouragement to us. Whatever God allows in our lives, he will give us the grace, the power, and the strength to get through it. And we can even learn to be content in the midst of it. If you would like to know more about why bad things happen to us, Heather Van Stavern gave us an amazing message last year, and it's on our website under Topics and Conversations called Why Bad Things Happen. Uh, but God does allow things in our lives, and he has a purpose for them, and he molds and shapes us through it, and he gives us the grace to get through it right when we need it. When we recognize our need for God and acknowledge our weaknesses, he can then really use us. And that's what's so amazing is that he, you can see it all throughout the Bible, he uses people, weak people. People, that's, why you, that's one of the reasons we know the Bible is true, right? Because who would write a book about all these people that were just so lost? <laughs> he shows us that he gives us the grace. He's always present and available to us. It helps us rise above our circumstances to allow hardships to transform us the way he intended. And we can bring glory to God in spite of them. Whatever you're experiencing today... God's grace is there to get you through. The next area of grace lived out is how we rightly need to rightly view ourselves. What I'm talking about here is that grace-filled people are not self-righteous and prideful because they recognize their sin. Parenting brings this out more than anything else that we can ever do in our lives. Irritation, impatience, anger, lack of gentleness, lack of joy. The same things we struggle with, our children do too. We are more like our children than we are unlike them. The Pharisees were the religious people of the day. I already mentioned that Paul was one of them. And they saw themselves as the law keepers and they judged the people relentlessly. But Jesus called them whitewashed tombs because on the outside, they were doing the right things. But on the inside, their hearts were very self-serving and prideful. I love, I put this verse on your handout because I wanted to read this as well. This is such a great illustration of what Jesus was talking about. He told the story about some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scored every, scorned everyone else. Two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. Now, the tax collectors were despised because many of them were Jews, and they were collecting uh, Roman taxes that really were hurtful to the people, and, um, and so they despised these tax collectors. They saw them as the worst of sinners. So we have a Pharisee going to the temple, and we have a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. 
I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. I'm so great. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We want to guard against self-righteousness. When we judge others and not ourselves, this doesn't please God. Parents who know they need grace can give grace. Paul Tripp says, humble, confessing parents encourage their children to be humble and confessing too. And the result is they will have many opportunities to talk about the rescuing love of Jesus. We, are, we need to be real. Humble and confessing parents, they need to see this. The third way is to forgive ourselves. Yes, you will make mistakes. You will do things that will embarrass you as a parent. Remember I told you the story of me pulling Alex's hair. But don't get stuck in it. Regret and shame steal our joy and keep us discouraged and ineffective as believers. And regrets keep us focused on the past. We don't want to live in the past. If we can't, remember Jesus died and paid our sins past, present, and future. If we can't forgive ourselves, then you know what we're saying to Jesus? Your sacrifice wasn't enough. I know so many people that are debilitated by shame and regret, and they, they can't get past it. But Jesus gives us the grace to get past it. We can learn from our mistakes, and live in God's grace right here, right now. Remember, we're standing beside our children as sinners in need of grace, and this creates the perfect balance as us standing above them as the authority to discipline and correct them. 1 John 1, 9, if we forgive our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is one of the first verses I memorized because the other one was about anxiety and then this one because it is really hard to forgive ourselves. This verse is speaking of an ongoing pardon and purification from sin, not the cleansing and forgiveness of salvation. Our sin and rebellion displeases our holy God. So yes, we are forgiven when we trust Jesus, but our sin displeases our holy God. And when we confess them, we're restored by a loving Father who delights to shower the brokenhearted and repentant with his mercy and compassion. Forgiveness and cleansing, those promises are as refreshing to the sinner as a cold drink of water to a very thirsty woman. To see sin in ourselves from day to day, to humbly confess it and mourn over it, is to walk in the light, and walking in the light, we shall have fellowship with God, because he is light. There is no room for shame and regret in Jesus. He has forgiven you. We can forgive ourselves. 
Lastly, to shepherd our children's hearts. When our children see us asking for grace and receiving it, they will be inspired to do this as well. This creates an authentic, real relationship with grace at the center. Last week, we established that if we point out this uh, misbehavior in our children, we help them see the sin behind it, right? So we're not focusing on the behavior. We're focusing on the sin behind it. And we can help them see the sin behind it. Then this encourages them to ask for forgiveness and to restore the, rela the broken relationship that sin creates. We establish rules and balance it with grace. Establish rules, balance it with grace. Because rules without grace leads to rebellion. You're going to hear a great story about that from one of our mentor moms in just a bit. Maybe some of you have parents that lean toward one extreme or the other. The authoritarian style of parenting is my way or the highway. And it's characterized by high control and a lack of grace. Or the permissive parent that found rules too restrictive and think their child learns best with little interference from them. Neither of those are biblical parenting styles. How did your parents raise you? Were you ever afraid of one of them? I was. What are you afraid of for your children? I'm gonna introduce you to one more parenting book that we're gonna talk about this semester. So far we've talked about Paul Tripp's book, 14 Gospel Principles, and then Ted Tripp's book, His Brother Shepherding a Child's Heart, and one more is Grace-Based Parenting by Tim Kimmel. Fantastic book. In it, Kimmel explains all parenting styles have this in common. They are the result of a parent's theology. Their theology is a combination of the way they view God and the way they think he views them. If we have flawed theology regarding God's attitude toward us, it can automatically create a chain reaction of flawed decisions and how we raise our children. It can also set up our children to miss the joy of God, the heart of God, and the power of God in their personal lives. So he outlines what's called fear-based parenting. This is what I grew up with. Where our fears are behind he says, fear-based parenting where our fears are behind the expectations and boundaries that we establish. For these parents, it's all about behavior, looking good, image control. It's not about the heart. And he says, it's the surest way to raise Christian kids who either don't have any passion for lost people, are indifferent to the things of God, or out and out rebel against their parents, the church, and the Lord. Under fear-based parenting, he goes into more detail about the judgmental parent who spends most of their time making sure their family is better than the ones around them, and usually they don't enjoy God very much. And then there's the legalistic parent. This is the one that spends most of their time trying to make sure their family does everything right. You're going to be stressed out for sure. If you watch them in action, they appear burdened and stressed out. They're especially hard on children who don't toe the line. And then let's not forget the, the permissive parent who has the fear that they're stifling their children's creativity if they give them rules. Fear, fear, fear. Jesus says, do not fear. 
over 365 times in the Bible, one for every day of the year. And then there's grace-based parenting. In contrast to fear-based parenting, Kimmel spends the majority of the book talking about grace-based parenting. He says, grace-based parents spend their time entrusting themselves to Christ. They live to know God more. Their children are the daily recipient of grace these parents are enjoying from the Lord. If you watch them in action, they appear to be peaceful and very much in love with God. They are especially graceful when their children are hardest to love. Their advice to their children would be a mixture of you are a gift from God, go make a difference, and you may struggle doing the right thing sometimes, but you are forgiven. Grace doesn't lower the standards. It raises them. It raises them. All right, I'm going to call Barbara up. So we've got Barbara Bland here, and she's going to share some great insight on her experience with what we've been talking about today. So first of all, Barbara, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Uh, Joe and I have been attending HCBC for 15 or 20 years. We can't decide. We have two sons, 31 and 29, two lovely daughter-in-laws, and two young grandsons. I was raised in a Christian home and was at church Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, and Wednesday evenings. Yes, we attended church regularly, but didn't see it lived out in our home. Well, honestly, we saw the law, but not the grace, and not the grace and mercy. Our father's temper was volatile, and that caused my mom and us kids to walk on eggshells, desperately trying not to upset him. I'm pretty sure my older sisters were afraid of him as well as I was. I was the third girl, so he treated me like a son. I went everywhere I could with him at his request and did chores outside with him in order to attempt to please him, but I was scared to death of him. I do not want to dishonor my dad by saying these things, but these are the very things that shaped my childhood and my relationship with God. I did receive Jesus into my heart when I was in the third or fourth grade and for the first time felt loved and full of joy for a while. But soon I began to transfer my perspective of my dad onto the way I perceived God. I had better walk on eggshells with him too or else. I was so afraid to mess up. I, in my mind, never thought I measured up with my dad or God. Fast forward to middle school and high school where I eventually stopped trying to win my dad's love and eventually stopped trying to earn God's either. I would just go after my peers' approval. That felt safer. I became whatever my friends wanted me to be, anything to fit in. This eventually got me into many rebellious activities. Drugs, alcohol, promiscuity were my lifestyle, and even though I knew better, I really didn't care anymore. This went on for about 10 to 13 years, far from God and miserable. My heart was longing to get back to a relationship with him, but how could he ever take me back? I was newly married, and Joe and I's relationship had, be, had been built on partying, lots of partying. So after about a year of marriage, when my desperation for a relationship with God got bigger than my feelings of shame and guilt that had kept me away, 
I walked into a church and rededicated my life to God. Although it was so great to be back at church, my husband had married a party girl. And now, as the saying goes, women marry and expect their husbands to change, and men marry and expect their wives not to change. I do not have time to go into the issues that this dynamic caused in our marriage. You may be thinking, what does that have to do with parenting? Everything. So how did your view of God affect your parenting? Well, because I still wanted so desperately to please God. I wanted to be a perfect parent. Ha! Huh. I still had residual fear lingering from years ago. So without realizing it, I was going to try my best to keep my kids from ever making the mistakes I had made. I was going to make sure they grew up and never strayed away from God like I did. I was going to make sure their behavior made me look like a good Christian parent. Oh my, what a huge false burden to put on anyone, especially a child. Of course, I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but it was still all fear-based. Guess how that worked out for me? Not so well. Now, there were fun times too, with lots of sports and lake activities, lots of good friends and lots of laughter. The real anxiety about parenting grew as they grew older. When they start, as they should, wanting to make more of the weightier decisions, fear would flood me. I became a hyper-attentive and watching nervously to make sure no teachable moment passed us by. I was holding on for dear life to make sure they stayed on track, so controlling and fearful, and all this time trying desperately to look like I wasn't scared to death. This created the perfect storm inside of me, complete with anxiety attacks. Oh, I can so relate to that, Barbara. I really can. How, was, how were you able to get past this? I started studying and learning more about God's grace and love. I started getting a new perspective on God, the perfect father, and how he loves me. I learned I can trust him with trusting me with our sons. I learned he wanted me to be so connected to his heart by reading his word, praying, seeking wise counsel, and reading great books on this subject. I did not want my boys to see God as I had seen him, as the harsh judge, so disappointed with me. I did not want my boys to have the wrong sort of fear that I had where God was concerned. I wanted them to know the true love of the Father and know of his grace. I had to have a true perspective and connection with God in order to demonstrate it to our boys. I also had to have a heart connection with each of my boys in order to effectively teach them in a healthy way. So I had to learn to connect with God and connect with my sons. To know them, to see them, to hear them, and to make sure they know how much they are loved. And love includes discipline also. I love how Tim Kimmel states so nicely in his book, Grace-Based Parenting. Rules without relationship breeds rebellion, and re relationships without rules breed resentment. Let's say that again. Rules without relationship breed rebellion, and relationship without rules breed resentment. I don't know about you, but I don't want rebellion or resentment. So that's really good. So what would you tell a young mom 
what would you tell yourself as a young mom that you've learned now? Relax. Have some fun. God gave me these two sons. Enjoy them. Get to know each child's hearts, weaknesses, personalities, love languages, dreams, and desires. Laugh a lot. Receive an abundance of grace and give an abundance of grace. Ask forgiveness often and encourage them to do the same. Enjoy each other. Time is fleeing. Be transparent and don't act like I've never made mistakes. Stay humble. Admit when I'm wrong. Laugh at myself and don't take things so seriously. Ask them how I'm doing as a parent. What do I do well? What do I need to improve on? Stay teachable. Be students of my children. Teach them to be kind and serve others. Give them each my undivided attention. Put my cell phone down and really engage with them. They know when I'm faking it, pretending to be listening when I'm not. Don't make idle threats or promises I can't keep. Let them know they can trust me and my word, and they can trust God and his word. Be honest and set healthy boundaries for them so they will feel safe and secure. Encourage them and be generous with compliments and gentle with rebukes. Because time did fly, it may be too late for a few of these things with my adult sons, but most of these are lifelong practices. And there are always my grandsons. So much less pressure. I should have had them first. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you so much for sharing, Barbara. That is such great advice. All right. So if you feel like Barbara, that you're getting it all wrong, don't beat yourself up. Remember, we confess our sins, ask for wisdom, move on, go forward. Don't look back, just learn from it. Grace isn't so much about what we do, but how we do it. Let's acknowledge that God will give us the grace we need to accomplish his purposes in our lives as, as we get through the hard times. Our mistakes with our children can be forgiven. And what was done to us as children, forgotten and overcome. We can let go of society's expectations and only concern ourselves with God's. We can be honest with God and ourselves and our spouses and allow him to guide our attitudes and actions. We don't need to live in guilt, live in guilt or shame. When we parent in, his grace, in this grace, our kids will walk in it and see God as the one who came to set the captives free. So, question is, what if I'm not up to the task? God's grace will empower you exactly when you and where you need it. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you give us your word and to encourage us. We thank you and praise you that you sent your son to die for us so that we can receive your grace covers all of our sin and that we can live out that grace extending it to others but yet you also empower us with that grace Lord and we often feel so inadequate and just so not worthy or ready to what you've called us to do and yet we know that you call us so we pray that you would help us remember that 
this week and going forward, that you don't call the equipped, you equip the called. And that's what makes the relationship with you so beautiful, that you give us what we need when we need it. We thank you, Lord. Pray for our small group time now, that we would have great discussions and just really um, learn from each other and encourage each other. We thank you in Jesus' name.